So I went to school in Texas, uh, Austin, and one thing that Texas is known for is its barbecue. Like barbecue, like so good in Texas, but there's this one place in Texas that's famous for its barbecue. It's called Franklin's Barbecue. Uh, and I didn't know that this place exists when I was a student because, you know, when I was a college student, I was, I was poor. You know, most college students, they don't have the luxury to, to buy barbecue all the time, especially not at a restaurant that's well known. But later, uh, when I had an opportunity to visit Austin again with my friends, that's when we looked up, like, a barbecue place. Like, what's the best place to enjoy Texas barbecue? And this place came up. And I found out that in order to... to taste this barbecue, I mean, it's, it's great that it melts in your mouth, uh, all the side dishes are great, but in order to taste this barbecue, you have to wait for at least a couple hours. And they only open during lunchtime, and uh, most people would line up starting from 7 a.m. in the morning. They would literally bring chairs, board games, uh, so that they can kill a couple hours with their friends so that they can line up and, 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 and actually get the barbecue and enjoy the barbecue. And so for me, being impatient, uh, I just went to a different place. Like, this is something that I never experienced. And so later on, I heard some friends who actually waited, and they said that it was worth the wait. Every minute of it, it was worth it, because that's how good this barbecue is. The truth is, like, a lot of us, we struggle to wait. It's not just with food, but it's really every aspect of our lives. We are going more impatient, especially with the technology that we have. Uh, one reason why we love Amazon is because we can get stuff the next day, right? If something is not responding right away when we're browsing the Internet, uh, we get impatient. Uh, literally, just been a couple seconds, but you're thinking, oh, what's wrong with my phone? I need to update my phone if it's not responding in a couple seconds. And so we live in a culture where everything is fast-paced, everything is immediate, and we struggle to wait. Waiting is really hard just in general, but especially in the Christian life, waiting is, is, is extra difficult. And today's passage is all about waiting. How can we grow in the way that we wait for the Lord? Now, in Luke chapter 12, there are different parables, a series of parables that appear. But really, the, the key parable in, that unlocks all these other parables is, is this parable of the rich fool. We looked at this parable a couple weeks ago. It says in chapter 12, verse 16, and he, Jesus, told them, the disciples, a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And the rest of the story, we went into this story in depth a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to talk about all the details. But the idea is that you have a rich man who's a farmer, and this one season, he was so blessed that the land produced plentifully, that he had too much stuff, that he can't uh, contain all this stuff, so he has to build a bigger barn. And what he ends up doing is he builds a bigger barn and he says to himself, now I am set for life. I'm ready to retire. I can eat, drink, enjoy life uh, for really the rest of my days. And so a lot of people would look at this and say, man, this guy is living the American dream. Like we wish that we can retire before we turn 50. Like earlier the better. Like we want to set ourselves up in a way that we can just simply enjoy life. I think more and more, that's kind of the trend. Before, it was more like, hey, how can I set up my family for generational wealth? Like, nowadays, it's like, who cares about your family, right? You have to set yourself up in a way that you can enjoy the rest of your life. So this is like the prototypical American dream of retirement. But the Bible says, in fact, 
God himself says, you fool. This is absolutely foolish, not because having a lot of stuff is a sin or wicked. We talked about that before, but it's the way that we view our stuff that's, that's an issue. Um, because this man, he didn't recognize that his time was short. He literally was going to live another day, and yet he was living and accumulating his wealth as if he was living for eternity on earth. And so we see that he doesn't understand God's timing, but the other thing that he doesn't understand is God's provision. It says, again, in verse 16 of chapter 12, the land of the rich man produced plentifully. That's an important detail because, yes, this man must have been a smart person because, you know, you need to be smart to accumulate wealth. Uh, You need to be hardworking to accumulate wealth. You need to do all these different things. But the Bible says, Jesus himself says, the reason why this person had a lot of stuff is because the land produced plentifully. In other words, it wasn't that he did something extra, but God just simply blessed him with extra stuff. The land produced plentifully. In other words, God gave this man just more stuff. He blessed this man. And it says in verse 20, after this man is just willing to live the rest of his life, just enjoying life with all that he has, storing everything that he has in a barn, it says in verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. In other words, you're going to die this night. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In other words, all this stuff that you stored up for yourself, where is it going to go? Who does it belong to? Now, you might say, my family is going to enjoy it. Other people are going to enjoy it. But the idea is that that stuff was given to you by God, and that stuff will return to God. Like, God gives and he takes away. So this man was a fool because he was not aware of the timing of his life, that he was not aware that his days were numbered. And this man was a fool because he acted as if all the blessings in his life was actually his. That he was acting as if he was the master, that he was the owner of his stuff. In other words, because that stuff belongs to him, he was willing to use that stuff just for himself. He wasn't willing to share with others. He wasn't willing to do things for God. So he was rich in himself, but he was poor in the kingdom of God. And the moral of the story, the lesson of the story is this. Don't be a fool and just live for this life. Don't just be a fool and and worry about your stuff in this world. Live knowing that one day, this life will come to an end. And so Jesus talked about all the negative things about what we ought not to do in our life. But in today's passage, he begins to talk about what we should do, the positive things in our life. And the first thing that he says is this, we need to stay ready. We need to stay ready. It says in verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Now, if you read this in the original text in the Greek, it doesn't say stay dressed for action. It actually says Gird up your loins. Now, some of you just heard the word loins when you eat pork, but uh, this is a word that talks about a specific body part, right? You're kind of your sides, and it almost sounds inappropriate to say this in in, in a message. Uh, But the idea is this. In the first century uh, in Judea, men, they wore robes long robes that come to the ankles. Like even people today, they were in the Middle East, when the weather is hot, they would wear these robes, especially when I was in Egypt. 
all over the place. People are always wearing these robes. And they wear these robes because, you know, when the weather is hot, you need some, some air. Like, you need some fresh air. And so, like, having, uh, that, that's maybe why women wear skirts. I personally never experienced it. But, you know, it's just nice, refreshing uh, uh, to get some fresh air. But the other thing is that it's just comfortable. You're not as restricted. Things are not tight on you. So you can easily put things off and on. Um, and so many people, they would wear robes and they would have a belt on them just to keep things together. But it would be fairly loose, fairly comfortable. And all these things are great, like, you know, if you want, just want to be comfortable in life. But when you have to do something active, when you have to do something that requires movement, like having that big robe is, is not a good thing. That's why I kind of got rid of the robes that we normally wear in baptism, simply because for me personally, I was so afraid that I would trip when I was going down to the baptistry like, and, and I will make a fool of myself. And so for me, I just said, I'm going to put on a t-shirt, swim shorts, and, and that, that'll be it. I'm not confident in my movement. And, and, and you never see Olympians, right, come out with robes. Like, they are always wearing, like, tight stuff. Why? Because when you want to move around, things have to be tight on you. And so what people did with these long robes back in the days, if they have something that requires action, they would actually gird up their robes up to their loins, and they would keep it there. They would tuck it into their belt, and they would do things in an active way. And so what Jesus is saying in today's passage is this. Something is about to happen. Like, it's not just about, you know, just being dressed nicely. But something is about to take place that requires action. So say dressed for action. And this idea is built on the next phrase, keep your lamps burning. Like, you know, for us, we don't use lamps. We have electricity. But remember, in first century Judea, they don't have electricity. And maybe if you went camping before, you kind of experienced this. Like once the lights are out, once the sun goes down and, and the fire dies out, what happens? It's like pitch dark. So scary. Like, if you never experienced that before, just go into the middle of the woods and see, like, how you like it. Like, you can't see a thing. Therefore, you can't do anything. You have to go to bed. And that's exactly what people did at night, unlike us, where we can work 24-7. We can stay up, study all night. We can, you know, do stuff on our phones and computers. I wonder what we're doing. But, you know, the idea is that people in Jesus' time, at night, they slept. They rested. But... Here, it says, keep your lamps burning. In other words, even in the middle of the night, when everyone is resting, something is about to happen, so stay ready. So the idea is this. Don't get too comfortable in this life. Don't, don't just follow the mass and, 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 and just rest like other people. Stay ready. Be prepared. That's the idea. Why? Because it says in verse 40, you also must be ready for the Son of Man, a reference to Jesus Christ, is coming at an hour you do not expect. The reason why we should be ready, dressed for action, we should be alert when it comes to what happens at night or just all throughout our lives is because Jesus one day will return. And this is a big deal. And he's not just going to give us signs and wonders. It says that he's going to come at an unexpected timing. Like maybe there's some clues that you could think of that, that maybe it's coming close. But the timing itself, no one knows. Like no one knows when exactly Jesus will return. 
just for your information, if anyone says that I know exactly when Jesus is returning, like you should question their theology and their beliefs. But it says, it says in verse 35 that Jesus returns in an unexpected timing. That's the first point I want to make. Jesus returns in an unexpected timing. It says in verse 35, stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Now, uh, for us, uh, when we think about a wedding ceremony, normally it lasts for a night, a couple hours. First, you would have a small ceremony, and then you would have like a reception, and then you would have maybe a DJ, and then you'll be dancing for a couple hours, but that's about it. Like, people are busy. Like, a lot of times, they'll just eat and, and kind of go, right? And, and that's why you kind of go through the guest list, and like, I don't want this person, this person, this. And like, you want people who are going to party to the end of the night. Uh, but people back in the days, in Jesus' time, they knew how to party, and they partied all week. So a wedding festival would normally last for a week. That's why when you get engaged, most couples, they would wait for a year. And it was the groom's responsibility to prepare the wedding to perfection. Uh, it was a way to show that he was responsible, that he can take care of the bride. And that's why it was a big deal in John chapter 2 when Jesus attended this wedding and there was wine that ran out. It was a big deal. Because it wasn't just a matter of hospitality. It was a matter of the, the groom not being responsible. Like he failed like as a groom because he failed to provide this, this, this drink that would provide joy uh, for that ceremony. But we see that a wedding feast was about a week. And so when someone attended that wedding, they could decide whether to return in the middle of the week or they can stay to the very end. So the master here attends a wedding feast. He's out of town. And the servants don't know when the master is going to come back. If the party is great, maybe he's going to stay to the very end. If it, the party is not great or he has stuff to do, he's going to come back early. But it says that we don't know when he's coming. He's going to return, but you don't know when he's coming. So be ready so that you can open the door for him once he knocks. It says in verse 38, kind of along the same lines, if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, Blessed are those servants. So the Roman soldiers uh, in Jesus' time, in order to stay prepared at night, be alert, they had three different watches. So it was divided in, in, in four-hour increments. And the first watch, second watch, third watch, it doesn't matter. What Jesus says is no matter how deep the night is, no matter how tired you are, you have to be alert, awake, because you don't know when the master will return. So Jesus makes it very clear that Jesus, he will return at an unexpected timing. And it says in verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Uh, now, I think I shared this story before, but uh, when I was in high school, um, I was still living with my parents in, in Korea, and um, we lived in an in a apartment. And one day, I still remember, I came back home, uh, opened the door, and it was just a mess. Normally, my house is, is quite clean because my mom, she's like a super clean person. And I walked in, junk is everywhere. Everything is like all over the floor, all over the place. And I walk in, I recognize that there's like some other people in our house. And I see my mom, I see my brother, and I ask, hey, mom, what's going on? And, and she tell, tells me, well, our house was robbed. Like, and, and so everything, like all our clothes were all over the place, like 
this guy, this thief took like even my savings. I was like, it was like not that much. I, I, I hid it because I have two siblings, right? So I don't want them to know where I keep my money. But this guy found my money. Like he took all my savings. Like, and so um, I was so upset. But one thing I remind myself is, man, you never know when a thief is going to come. It's unexpected. And the Bible, it's not saying that Jesus is a thief, but it's saying that the timing of it, right? We don't know for sure. We're never going to know when Jesus is going to appear. It's not like a thief is going to leave you a note and say, hey, tomorrow night I'm going to stop by, so just be ready. No, he's never going to do that. In the same way, we don't know when Jesus is coming, so it says in verse 40, you also must be ready. You have to be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so stay ready. Be alert. Uh, Now, hearing all of this, Peter being the spokesman of, of the disciples, like he's always quick to speak. Uh, this is what he says. He asks a question. Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Now, we know from the beginning of this chapter that, yes, Jesus was addressing the disciples specifically, but there was a massive crowd with Jesus and the disciples. So Peter is asking the question, to be alert, to be awake, to be ready, does that apply to those who don't know you? who have yet to make a decision to follow you, or does that apply to us as well? We already made a decision. That's probably what they're thinking. Like, aren't we safe? Aren't we already prepared and and ready to go? And so this is a really important question because a lot of times what we think is this. Hey, if I prayed a prayer, if I gave my life to Jesus, then everything is set. It doesn't matter how I live my life. I don't have to be ready. It's the other people outside the circle who needs to be ready. Like, I'm safe. Is that actually true? Well, it says in verse 42, Jesus doesn't answer this question directly, but indirectly. He says, and the Lord said, Jesus said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? So the the, the thing here is the next command that we're given is after staying ready is to stay faithful. Staying ready doesn't just mean that you're killing time and you're just looking in the sky waiting for Jesus to return. When you are staying ready, you are staying faithful. That's the whole idea. Now, it's interesting in all these different parables, the relationship between Jesus and his disciples is the master and the servant. Like that's true for us as well. Like, we often think that, yes, Jesus is my Savior, he's my buddy-buddy, but more importantly, we live a life that's accountable to him. Like, he is our master, he is our Lord. That's what it means to call Jesus our Lord, and we are his servants. And it says in verse 42 that the master of the household gave this faithful and wise manager an opportunity. He set him over the household. Most likely the master is going somewhere, and this servant is responsible for giving the portions of food in the proper time to everyone. So his responsibility is food distribution. Like he needs to make sure everyone is being fed in this household while the master is gone. So that's a pretty simple task. It's an important responsibility, but a very simple task. Uh, and this simple task is given to different servants within the household. And we're going to see that there are two, really two types of servants, and they give two different responses. In verse 45, we see the first response, the unfaithful response. It says in verse 45, but if the servant says to him, my master is delayed in coming and being to beat 
uh, and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and to get drunk. So here you have a servant. As soon as the master goes out, leaves the home, and, and he sees that the master is gone, he says, man, this is my golden opportunity. Like my entire life, I've been serving this master. Now I'm in charge. I'm the one who's going to give people food. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use other people, abuse people. I'm going to be selfish in a way that I'm just going to eat, drink, and, and indulge in all these different things while mistreating other people, beating male and female servants, fellow people who are called to serve the master. And so you see here that the master told the servant, you should serve others by giving them what they need. The servant decides that, no, I'm going to serve myself with this opportunity. I'm going to act as if I'm the master of this house. So he tries to rule over other people, and it says in verse 46, the master of the servant will come one day, and when he does not expect, and when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So this is the response of the master when he returns in verse 46. He sees that he was unfaithful. He will cut the servant into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Now, I don't know if you heard a stronger language in the Bible before. Like this, this is scary. Even for us, like we're exposed to violence, right? Like all sorts of violent movies are made these days. Like it feels like cutting up limbs is not that big of a deal. But even for us, as we're exposed to all of that, like still it's gross. It's disgusting. Like it's, 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 it's something tells you deep down inside. That's like, that's just not right. And so when we see something like this, when, especially when it says the master cuts up the servant, we're like, how can this be? But the point is this, for those who don't take their lives seriously and take the responsibility that was given to them seriously will face severe punishment. I think that's the idea. The most cruel and severe way to punish a person back in the day, you know, obviously you have the cross, but also you have this punishment where you would just literally cut up a person. And, and so it's disturbing, but there's something that's even more like severe than this. It's one thing for you to be cut up, but the next thing the Bible says is, the master would put this person with the unfaithful. So not only would this person be cut up into pieces, but this person would be cut off from the master. That's what the master is saying. Like, you are no longer associated with me. This person is kicked out of the house, and he's placed with the unfaithful, the people who don't honor the master, the, 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 the people who don't believe in Jesus, his lordship, will be kicked out. And so at the end of verse 46, we see that there's severe punishment, but also there's this clear separation. And so we see when Jesus returns, yes, first of all, he's returning at an unexpected time. But number two, he's returning. And those who are unfaithful will face severe punishment. Those who are unfaithful will face severe punishment and complete separation from the master. Now, some people might say, well, that doesn't sound like good news. Right? Uh, does that mean we should be afraid in life? That like fear should be something that 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 happens in our life, and it will drive us to do more good stuff. Uh, well, yes, to some degree, I think we should remember that we are accountable to God. So that's absolutely a reality. But look at the other side. Look at how the faithful and good servant responds to the master. It says in verse forty-seven, the faithful and good servant says, and that servant who knew his master's 
will, um, who did not get ready and act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But verse 48, and the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a lighter beating. But going back to verse 37, it says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly to you, I say, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. So going back to this idea of, of the master returning, for those who have remained faithful, there's, there's a clear blessing. It says three times in today's passage, blessed are those who are ready, who are prepared when their master returns. So Jesus comes, yes, to the unbeliever, to those who are not prepared with a severe judgment, but Jesus comes also to bless those who are faithful. It says in verse 38 as well, if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Blessed are them. But what's so amazing in verse 37 is this. What does the master do when he returns? Like he came from a long journey. Like he's knocking on the door. The servant opens up the door. And you would think, hey, the master would tell the servant, give me something to eat, something to drink. I want to rest. Hey, where's the water so I can wash up? But you read verse 37 and it says this. He, the master, will dress himself for service. He would dress as a servant, and then he would recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. So three things that the master does as he returns to this house. Instead of taking the position of the master, he becomes a servant. He takes on the form of a servant. He invites his servants to come and recline, to have fellowship at his table. And the last thing that we see is that he's willing to serve that's unexpected like no master does that in the first century but jesus is saying that that's the blessing that people will receive if they remain faithful to the task that the master has given them if you think about this 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 is a picture that that shows us what jesus is all about jesus although he is although he is the son of god like he is the second person of the trinity like he dwells in majesty and rule and reign, that he was eternally there with the Father, with the Spirit. But what we see in Philippians chapter 2 is that although he was equal with God, he did not count equality with him, a thing to be grasped, yet he came down, he took the form of a servant, and to the point of death, he died on the cross to serve us. John John 13 reminds us that the day before Jesus was going to go to the cross, he got down on his knees, took off his outer garment, put a towel on his waist, and started washing the feet of his disciples. And he served them. And he says, as I have served you, as I have loved you, you should love one another. We have an awesome master who's willing not just to take advantage of us, but he recognizes our faithfulness, and he's willing to bless us with his service and with his presence. He invites us to be at his table, to have fellowship with him, which is unheard of. And so we see that the master is willing to bless his servants who have remained faithful, complete acceptance. And we see in verse 43, blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Again, this is something that's so radical because before 
The servant had the responsibility to share food, to distribute food, so that everyone in the master's house could eat and, and, and live life. But here, because he was so faithful in his task, when the master returns, it says in verse 44, now you are in charge over everything, all my possessions. I will set him over all my possessions. In other words, he's going to elevate, give this servant a promotion into the point that he is almost like equal with the master. He has equal responsibility. He has equal authority. He can rule and reign and have ownership over the entire home. How? Because the master exalts this servant. You know, if you think about the story of the Bible, this is exactly what happens in our life. Because God creates man in his own image, in his likeness in Genesis chapter 1. And what's the first command that God gives to people? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, have dominion over my creation. In other words, have rule over my creation. In other words, God, he allows us to have rule and authority over not random things, but his creation, what belongs to him. All of creation belongs to him, but God allowed Adam and Eve to be in a special place that they would have rule and authority over his creation, that they would be faithful stewards of his creation. How do we know that he didn't just bless them and allow them to do whatever they wanted to do with creation, but they were called to be stewards of all that they received? Well, Genesis 2.15 talks about this. After creating the garden beautifully, planting every tree that's good for food, pleasing to the eyes, it says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So important. Like when God created this garden called Eden, he didn't just say, hey, just enjoy life. Take all this fruit and just do whatever you want to do. No, that wasn't the thought. Like God placed man in the middle of the garden, yes, so that they can enjoy all of his creation, but also that they can keep the creation. They were called to be stewards They were called to be managers of the different areas of of creation that God has entrusted them with. And the same is true with you and me. God has given us different areas in our lives. Maybe he has given you a family. Maybe he has given you children. Maybe he has given you a place where you can work. Maybe he has given you friends. Maybe he has given you an opportunity to study. There are different areas of our life And we could easily think that, yes, those areas belong to me. All that God has given to me, like, that's my hardworking. That's my my accomplishments. No, the Bible says that those things are given to us by God. Yes, it's a gift, but also it's our responsibility to keep what God has given us, to work on what God has given us so that those things can be utilized for God's glory. The rich fool was blessed with all these possessions, all these stuff, and he thought that that was his accomplishment, not recognizing that that was something that was given to him so that he would be a faithful steward before the Lord. He said, oh, well, that's all mine, therefore I should live in a way that's pleasing to myself. And so he just used it so that it would serve his own purposes. And we see in today's passage, the call on the faithful good servant is this. What you have in your life, the different areas that you have in your life, they're given to you so that you can be a faithful steward for God. Are you making the effort, putting in the effort to work and keep the things that God has given you? If you die today and you face Jesus and his righteousness, 
Like, what would he say to you? The Bible reminds us that for people who know more, more is expected. That's the whole point of verse 47, verse 48. Uh, for people who, who knew about the master's will, but they didn't get ready for, for it, uh, they will receive a severe beating. beating. In verse 48, it talks about how people, if they didn't know about the master's will, and they didn't do what the master told them to do, they'll receive a lighter beating. It's almost like one side is kind of exposed to Christianity, the other side is not exposed to Christianity. Like, in both cases, you receive a beating. There's clear judgment, but there's a severe punishment for those who are exposed to the truth, but they don't act upon the truth. They are exposed to the truth, but they don't believe and respond to the truth. And you might be saying, well, Pastor James, thank you for this message because you just increased my chances to receive a severe beating because, you know, more information is not good. No, that's not the point. I hope that you're looking at this third group, this third group that actually knew the will of God and they were willing to respond to the will of the master and be faithful and good. The core message of today is not that God is trying to punish you. The core message of today is this, that whether you like it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, you and I will one day give an account for our lives before the Lord. And we have to be able to identify the ways that we've been faithful and good to our master, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And when we do so, he will bless us unexpectedly with his presence, with his servants. He will exalt us in a way that he will allow us to enjoy the kingdom of God. Remember what what Jesus said after talking about don't worry about this life. Seek the kingdom of God. And it said, he said in verse 32, fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's not just talking about things in the kingdom. It is his good pleasure to allow you to rule and reign in the kingdom as sons and daughters of God. So don't wait. Don't waste your life today. Stop acting as if you're going to live in this world for, for eternity. But know that your time is short. Your days are numbered. And know that you have given, been given this great responsibility by God to keep and work everything that you have in your life. It's a gift from God also it's a responsibility that we ought to steward um, through his grace so that don't get too comfortable don't just follow the mass honor him stay ready and stay faithful amen let's pray